Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. Okay, we have gotten very close. We're very near to the end of our study of the Ten Commandments. And something I've realized along the way is that how few people really know the Ten Commandments. You, if you were given the assignment to say the Ten Commandments, you would struggle, if not, to get them all, to get them all in order. And if you sat down long enough, you might have the opportunity to work through it and figure them out, and it would take you a while. But we struggle, even people who've been in church their whole life, to know them. And so I wanted to give you a trick this morning, a way to memorize the Ten Commandments in a way that you'll never forget them. And all you need is two hands. Did you bring hands to church today? Okay. Raise your hands up like this. You're not too cool to do this. You're cool. I tell you that often. You're cool. You're not too cool to do this with your pastor this morning. On the end of your hands, you have 10 what? Fingers. All right, we're going to use our fingers to work through the Ten Commandments. Hold up one finger like this because there's one God and one God only. That's the first commandment. Two fingers. We turn them sideways, make them like scissors because you've got to cut the idols out of your life. You like that? Three fingers. Looks like a W. Because you need to watch your mouth and watch your life and don't take the Lord's name in vain. Very good. Four fingers, because there are typically four Sundays in a month, and we need to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Five fingers, this is mom and dad's favorite one. Honor your father and mother. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. All right. My favorite one is this one, number six, because you go, bang, thou shalt not murder. Don't do it like this and put your thumb up because then it looks like a seven and it gets confusing. Seven can lead to six, but that's a different story. We do seven like this, and I'm not going to go deep in detail because we don't need to rehash what we talked a lot about a couple of weeks ago, but it's you shall not commit adultery, and these two people are going back here, and we won't talk about what they're doing, (laughs) but you shall not do that. Eight, we do like this. Last week, Brandon taught about you shall not steal. Doing it this way because in some countries, if you get caught stealing, they will cut off your pinky. And so we've got eight fingers up. I'm not lying. That's the ninth commandment. I'm not lying. You shall not lie. We'll talk about that one today. And then 10 fingers up here. You reach your arms out like this, like you're grabbing everything in front of you because we want it all. We've got to have it all. Even the things that God hasn't given us, we want it all. You shall not covet is the 10th commandment, right? Good job. You did it. Give yourself a hand. And if you practice this, I promise you, you will never forget it. And I had to remind myself to breathe because I was very nervous I would get one of them wrong. And it's like a, a domino thing. If you get one wrong, the whole thing falls down. But we did it. So good job this morning. Now, as we've been looking at the Ten Commandments, what we've been looking at is not just what are they, but why are they? Why did God give the Ten Commandments just 50 days after bringing his people out of 400 years of slavery Why did God have these particular 10 things on on his mind and want to share these with people? What is the heart of God and the law of God? And I've been arguing this, that the main theme of the heart of God and the law of God is human flourishing by his grace and for his glory. Human flourishing by his grace and for his glory. That's why God gave the commandments to the, the people of Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. Now, I want to make sure we understand this, and every week we're talking about this. It's not that God gave these 10 things and said, if you do these things, if you can accomplish all 10 commandments for every day of your life, then I will love you, I will accept you, I will save you, and I will consider you my people. That's not how this works. But it's a, God rescued a people. He brought them out of bondage into freedom and said, I'm giving you these things so that you can continue in freedom 
that you will walk in freedom, not just be a people who have been saved, but who live saved and don't turn back to bondage once again. He gave us the Ten Commandments that we would know how to live, how to really live, how to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and how to love our neighbor as ourself. And this morning, we're looking at the Ninth Commandment. We've made it here, and the Ninth Commandment says this, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. How many of you struggle with lying? And how many of you are lying right now because you should put up your hand? <laughs> this is an incredibly strange one. One of the problems about this one is that no one really thinks of themselves as struggling with the Ninth Commandment. We, we don't like to think of ourselves in this way, or, or at least we don't admit it. And I'm telling you, in 20 years in ministry, I have not had a person come to me unprompted and say, hey, pastor, I just wanted to talk to you because I'm a, I'm a liar and I need to deal with this. In all, literally all of the other commandments, people have come in and they've said, I have done this thing. I've been doing this thing. I'm killing myself. I'm killing other people. I need help. I don't want to go this way anymore. I want to repent and I need help, but not this one. And I, and I don't know why that is, if it's because we don't think it's a big deal. We just kind of push it aside, and this is like one of the lesser commands. I'm, you know, don't lie. I mean, everybody tells a little lie, right? Or it, it could be because in some weird way, we've convinced ourselves that we can come back from almost anything in life except for this. Like, if I'm a murderer, if I'm killing people, I can confess to that. I can deal with that. And when you see that I stop killing people, you go, oh, he's not about that thing anymore. But once I've said I'm a liar, how can you ever trust that I'm not a liar anymore, right? So we have this weird relationship with the ninth commandment. And I was thinking this week about an old um, Jewish proverb I had heard. It's about a rabbi who had been in this community for a very long time, serving a community, loving the people well. He was good. He was faithful. The people knew him as honest and hardworking. They knew him as a man full of integrity. They loved him. And then one day, a new guy came to town and began spreading lies about the rabbi. And it created all kinds of division in the community. People didn't know how to think. Some people immediately began to trust everything that the new guy said. And they were like, well, we didn't know this guy like, like we thought we knew him. And other people, they just were suspicious. And they didn't look at him the same way that they did the day before. And this guy stayed in town, and he remained in town. And so the community became divided. And no one really knew what to think or, or, or what to believe about the rabbi but the trust wasn't there in the same way that it was before. And one day, the man, he was just riddled with guilt. He knew that he had come and he had shared lies and he had kind of divided the community and destroyed the rabbi. So he goes to the rabbi and he says, this thing I've done is awful. And I, I'm so sorry. It was unfounded. Everything I said was untrue. What, what can I do to make it right? What can I do to fix what I've broken and to make straight what I made crooked? And the rabbi said, well, I want you to go to your home. I want you to take the pillow from your bed. And I want you to go out on a windy day and to tear your pillow and let the feathers that fill your pillow scatter through the sky and blow in the wind. The guy said, okay, I'll do that. So he does it on a windy day. He tears his pillow, the feathers go everywhere. And he comes back to the rabbi and said, rabbi, I did what you said. Is there anything else that I can do to make things right with you? You know where it's going, right? The rabbi goes, yeah, you can take your pillowcase and go back out and collect every feather. And so the man goes, that's impossible. And the rabbi says, exactly. See, there is a, a real and a serious danger to the misinformation and the fake news that we, we believe and that we propagate in, in our lives and with our lips. There is a, a real and serious danger to bearing 
false witness against our neighbor. It's not a lesser command. It's not no big deal. It's not everyone tells a little lie from time to time. Think about this. What was the first sin in the Bible? So think about it. It wasn't that Adam and Eve thought that they could be like God. It wasn't that they wanted to be their own God. It wasn't that they undermined God's design for the earth and how things would work. It wasn't that they took fruit from a tree, was it? No, it was the lie told from Satan, a created being who began to spread lies. And Adam and Eve, our first parents, were tempted by the lies of our, the enemy of our lives who Jesus called the father of lies. Remember that in John 8? John 8, Jesus is teaching and, and religious people are there and they're arguing, they're disputing what Jesus is saying. They don't get it. They're, they're saying he's wrong. He, he talks crazy talk. And Jesus says to them, why do you not understand what I'm saying? I'm going to tell you why you don't understand what I'm saying. It is because you cannot hear my word. Why can you not hear my word? Well, it's because you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is how much truth in him? None. There's no truth in him at all. Whenever he speaks, it's a lie. He speaks from his own nature for he is a liar. He is the father of lies because I speak the truth. You don't believe me. You're so unaccustomed to it. It's so unfamiliar to you. You would believe any lie I told you, but I am the truth. I speak the truth, and you can't hear it. In other words, these culturally religious people, these were even religious leaders, believed that they were the people who had been set free, believed that they were people who were living free, but they weren't. They were living in spiritual bondage because of the lies that they had heard, the lies that they had believed, the lies they had built their lives on, and the lies that they were spreading through their influence in the community. They were in spiritual bondage. And this is the thing that Jesus said in John 8, 32, it is only the truth that will set you men free, right? And so it's no wonder that God, once he brought out of 400 years of bondage of every kind, socioeconomic, ethnic, spiritual bondage in Egypt, after he brought his people out of Egypt, from there in their, their path towards the promised land that immediately, as quick as he got to it, he would want to uphold the truth and put a, a high price and gravity on them believing and loving the truth. And this is important because God gives life through the truth. He gives life to his people and through his people by the truth. And it is the enemy of our lives who by lies seeks to steal, to kill, and to, and to destroy. And that's why this is not a lesser thing. It is one of the top 10 things on God's mind as he sets people free is that they would know and love the truth and they would refuse to live in lies. And so as we look at the 16th, at the ninth commandment, verse 16 says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, this has a specific and narrow focus and I want to broaden it. We'll come back to the narrow, but I want to broaden it because there are so many ways that we catch the spirit of this and carry it out in our lives. There are so many ways in which we bear false witness or we believe and live in falsehood in, in so many forms. And so I think it's worth breaking down what are the, some of the ways that we do participate in lying and in bearing false witness against our neighbor. And there are, we're so good at it, there are countless ways that we could come up with, but I'll give you five types of lies that you and I probably all participate in at some time or another, if not all the time. One is, is straight up lying, 
right? This is just making junk up. There's no root of truth in it. There is no, it's not heading to any kind of fruit in truth. It is unabased. It is completely untrue. It is completely fabricated. And I don't know why we do it. I don't know what's motivating us, but we just totally make something up. A second type is twisted half-truth lying. This is where something is somewhat true or even mostly true, but we allow, we know, we knowingly allow there's some untruth there also, and we allow it to stand in order to mislead others or to get what we want. Twisted half-truth lying. There's also exaggerating the truth lying. This is one that I think all of us have, have worn pretty well at times. It's where we exaggerate our strengths or our weaknesses, our successes or our failures, whatever it takes to make ourselves look a little better or to make others look a little worse, exaggerating the truth lying. There is not owning the truth lying. It's where we get defensive. It's where we're always making excuses and explaining things away, and we'll never take ownership or accept the truth. And then there is avoiding the truth lying. This is where we are denying or withholding the truth from someone who deserves to know the truth. They, they should know the truth, or it's where we ignore the truth, and we refuse to hear it because we just don't want to hear it, ignoring the truth. And you can tell there are so many other ways that we, we embrace falsehood in our lives on a daily basis. These are just some of the ways. And I think all of us have, have, bared, or have embraced falsehood in, in these five ways, haven't we? Yeah, and you're not going to admit it today. Who would believe you if you, know, you said you didn't, right? And in all of these ways and so many more, we exchange truth for a lie. And Romans 1 tells us when we exchange the truth of God for a lie, there are devastating consequences that, that carry on and resound through our lives, right? So can, can you see, can you begin to admit, can you begin to believe that we all have some kind of a relationship with lying and falsehood in our lives? Can we accept that and nod our heads to that at least? Okay. We know it's wrong, but we're so used to massaging the truth for personal advantage that it's really hard to hold the line against falsehood in our lives. It's, we've become as accustomed to lying as we, we have to breathing, <laughs> It's just a part of our daily lives. And this is a strange one of the commands. I mean, which other command is like this where nearly everybody agrees that it's wrong, yet nearly everybody breaks the commandment nearly every day? <laughs> right? It's an odd one. Why do we lie? There's probably a lot of reasons that we lie. Why do we lie? I think for some of us, we lie because we think it works for us. And maybe it does work for us, at least temporarily. And so we use it. We use it to our advantage. I think sometimes we lie because we're afraid we're afraid of graceless people, or we're afraid of a graceless God, or maybe we're afraid that we can't be gracious to ourselves, and so we lie to ourselves, and we want to allow ourselves to own the truth because it would hurt too much, and we don't know if we could deal with that. We lie maybe because we're afraid of failing. We just really want to win, and maybe it's possible. Maybe we lie because we really do want to cause harm to somebody else think about all of this, it's a really heavy realization. That's what, for me, this was a surprisingly hard sermon to prepare for the last couple of weeks, thinking about this. I'm going, this is, this is landing really heavy, and I don't like the feeling of the way that it's landing. Maybe I should have given Brandon this one and taken the other one from him. I could have stolen it because, you know, he said, thou shalt not steal, right? It's kind of a daunting thing to consider where have I allowed falsehood in some form to remain in my life. I'm not talking about, listen, I'm not talking about making a mistake. Let me make, be clear about that. I'm not talking about, you know, I didn't understand the truth or I believed the wrong truth and I shared it or I built my life upon some misinformation and made a mistake. 
talking about something much more malicious than that. That's what this verse is talking about. And the difference between a mistake and malice is motive. Do you hear me on that? The difference between a mistake and malice is motive. It's the intent of my heart. It's the desire of my heart. Why am I sharing this thing? Why am I saying this thing? Is it because it's what I think or I believe, or is it because I'm trying to get something accomplished in some way? So this is the command. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It's a command that calls to us to be very careful, very careful that the words and the ideas that we share are not words and ideas that bring shame and dishonor and pain and suffering and harm to another person. Remember, the commandments are both how we love the Lord our God and how we love our neighbor, right? That we're to be very intently aware of the words that we share, that they don't bring pain and suffering and shame and dishonor upon our neighbor. In other words, don't harm your neighbor by false testimony. That, that's, that's the ninth commandment. Don't harm your neighbor by false testimony. This is how we live as a people of grace, a people who have been saved by grace, who live by grace, who love our Lord and love our neighbor. And the commandment, when you boil it down, really is about lying in general, in, in any context whatsoever. The narrow context, it sets it up. It's like a court case. When you're bearing witness on someone's life and their behavior before a court, when they're being judged, when they are possibly going to be sentenced, and and in this context, certainly there's a a weight upon those who bear witness, but I believe it, it is fully about how we use and allow falsehood of any form to hurt, damage, and destroy the people around us. And John Calvin's sermons on the Ten Commandments, he wrote this, Whoever bears false witness against his neighbor kills him. In essence, he robs him, and listen to this, and is guilty of whatever evil proceeds from his lie. Now think about that for a moment. I'm not just guilty if I embrace and share falsehood. I'm guilty of all of the things that are consequence of that falsehood on that person's life. That's heavy. He says, it's true we don't often think about that, but such is the case. I think that's why in the ancient Jewish court setting, God commanded that a witness against someone in a trial, if that person was found guilty and was to be punished, it is the witness against him who would be the first one to throw a stone or, or to, to flip the switch or be the one who is to begin the execution of this person because it was the message to that person and to the community and before God of the weight of our words upon another person's life. They carry weight. They carry meaning. I think it also spoke to the gravity by which embracing falsehood and bearing false witness against a neighbor should be taken because if you tell a lie that affects a person, it's going to affect a person in such a way, you better be ready to take it all the way because if you bear false witness, you be ready to kill them because ultimately it may may come to that in this, this setting here. Now, one of the things that we've noticed, we've seen in each of the commandments is that the commandments have two sides to them, don't they? There's a positive side and a negative side. It's like two sides to a coin, but there's a positive way of looking at it and a negative. There's a, a, a prescription and a, a, a thing that you should not do. An example in the first commandment is that you shall have no other gods before me. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. It's also a call to cling to the one true God and to bow before him in all of your ways and all of your days, right? 
Both things are at work. Last week, Brandon taught about the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal, but we learned it's not just about avoiding stealing, taking something that doesn't belong to you, but it's also believing that God is good, and He's good to you, He's good to me, and He is the provider for our lives, and He provides to us and through us. So we are called to live generously, to be people who in all of our days are givers, not takers. Both are encompassed in the Eighth Commandment. And when you get to the ninth commandment, it's not simply that we, we shouldn't tell lies or gossip or slander or bear false witness, but there's also implied within it the command to love the truth and know the truth and to protect the truth and to love your neighbor and protect your neighbor by the truth, right? Here's what, what Calvin said here. Let us understand that if we intend to obey our God, it is essential for us to maintain the honor of our neighbors as much as we can. For since he has forbidden us to mar the reputation of anyone in the opposite sense, he equally wills for us to endeavor to protect the honor of everyone. For it is not enough to refrain ourselves from doing evil without at the same time also procuring good. In other words, it's not enough that I just try really hard not to slander and not to gossip and not to tear people down or twist the truth or twist people's words in my favor. It's not a command that only prohibits, but it's also a command that calls us to pursue something. It's saying that we should do everything that we can, everything we can with all of our strength and might to know and love and protect the truth, and to know and to love and to protect our neighbor. So first, we don't harm our neighbor by, by sharing falsehood, by bearing false witness. But then what do we do? Well, we do love our God and love our neighbor by living truthfully. Do you see that? See how both are there in the ninth commandment? Do love God and love your neighbor by living truthfully. And we do this because truth is an attribute of God. Here's the truth about God. Isaiah 65, 16 says that God is the God of truth. In other words, all truth proceeds from God. Something is only true if it is uniquely in line with who God is, what He has done, what He has designed, and what He intends. Something can only be true if it's in line with God because He is truth. 2 Samuel 7, 28 says His words are true. Not that his words can form truth, that he has the ability to tell truth. Not that his words can, they can hit the capacity and the measure of truth. No, that the very words of God himself are the standard of truth. They are the measure of truth. They are the criteria of something being true. It has to line up with what he says because everything that he says is true. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, every word of God proves to be true. Psalm 100 verse 5 says that his truth endures to all generations. What that means is that his truth isn't just truth back when this was written. It wasn't just truth when this happened to these people. It wasn't just truth in a time and a place, but it's gone out of, out of, a, 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 out of season now because we're in a different time and a different culture. Culture changes and truth changes with it. No, not at all. God's word says that his truth endures to all generations forever and ever. It doesn't change because culture changes. Titus 1-2 says God cannot lie. He cannot lie. Numbers 23 says the same thing. God is not human like us that he should lie. We skew the truth, right? We twist the truth. We abandon the truth. We forsake the truth. But God cannot lie just like I cannot fly. It's not in my nature to fly, and it's not in God's nature to lie. It's not a possibility. And so this is God's call on us. Because God is the God of truth. It's an attribute of Him. And every person was made in the image of God. The Bible teaches us that in Genesis 1. 
All people were made in God's image and in Christ as Christians were called to live in his image. Aren't we? So we're called to be a people of truth who love it. Who love the truth and live in truth because God is true. He's trustworthy, he's reliable, he's life-giving, and he wants his people to represent to the world, to present an accurate picture of who he really is. So we're to live in truth. And as God's people, as those whom he has saved by grace, both then with Israel, the people that he had brought out of bondage, rescued and, and set free. He wanted them to live rescued and set free and not turn back. So follow my word so you may live and experience freedom and grace in all of your days. And for us who have been set free from bondage to sin, bondage to lives lived apart from God, we're to forsake all falsehood. It's to, to, to be repugnant to us. We, we have no desire to walk in darkness, none at all, but instead we desire to live in the light and to love, love the truth and to share the truth of God, to reflect it to the world around us. That's why we're given things like Proverbs 23, 23 that says, buy truth, buy it, and don't sell it. In other words, do everything you can to obtain truth, and once you got it, don't you dare let it go, not for any price, Right? Proverbs 12, 22 says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. Do you see what delights God? It's not winning. It's not accumulating. It's not achieving. It's not proving. It's not being the biggest or the best. It's those who deal faithfully. That's what brings delight to the Lord our God, those who deal faithfully. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak the truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we're members of each other. Are we getting on the same page here, generally speaking? Don't harm others by, by, by sharing false witness, by bearing false witness. Do love God and love others by living truthfully. We, we, are we there? Okay. So how do we practically love the truth and live the truth? Because it would be very easy, I think, for us to nod our heads and go, yeah, generally speaking, yeah, don't do bad, do good. I get it. <laughs> I, I know that. That's kind of why I'm here. I'm, I'm those people. We don't do bad, we do good. But specifically, what are the practical ways in which we know, love the truth, know and love it, and we live in it on a daily basis? I'll give you three ways that we can live the truth, live truthfully, to love the Lord our God and love our neighbor as ourself on a daily basis. The first is primary, it's most important you got to know and love Jesus. You know and love Jesus. Understand this. The ninth commandment, it comes out of God's character, comes out of his authority. It does teach us how to live and walk as a people of grace and grow in that grace. But you have to understand it also points us to our Savior. John 14 says he is the way, he's the truth, he's the truth. Somebody help me here. He's the truth and he's the life, Right? John in first John or in John chapter one, rather, he said that Jesus is the true light. He's the only one who really can bring light upon our life and light upon the world and help us to see things as they really are. He's the only one. He's the true light. He said he's the true bread. He's the only one who can really fill and satisfy our lives. Jesus said about himself that he's the true vine. What he means is he's the only one that really gives the source of life and meaning and direction to our life. And he's the one who bears fruit. Any good fruit in our life comes from him. He's the source of all of that in our lives. 
So I want you to see this. Jesus is truth incarnate, and his truth incarnate, what did he do? He, he got on a cross, and he bled, and he died to pay the penalty for our bearing false witness and all of the sins of the tongue. That's what he did, and the gospel calls to us. It calls to us to cling to what he's done for us, the finished work of, of Christ on the cross, to receive that, to put aside the old self, to put on the new self, a person who knows and loves the truth and lives in that truth. And here's the beautiful thing about it. When we cling hard to the finished work of Christ on our behalf, what happens is we begin to become a people who are enthused to bear true witness. Like, you don't have to get clever in how do you share the gospel, how do you share Jesus with somebody. If you're clinging hard to what Jesus has done for you, you're like, my gosh, he's awesome. What Jesus has done for me, you don't know. You don't know what all he's done for me. He's loved me with an amazing love. He is so incredible. And you don't have to have like this dark, I was in prison and I, was, I had all this stuff going on in my life to have that radical change because Ephesians 2 says you were once dead in your sin but now made alive in God. So your story is, hey, I died and came back to life. It's pretty awesome. Jesus did that for me. He's amazing. And here's the beautiful thing. I've experienced this too. When you really fully understand and embrace the supreme value of Jesus over all things, you find that your desire to tear other people down, to cut them down, begins to dissipate. It begins to fade away from your life. It no longer motivates you. Your your affections change. The things that drive your life change when you cling hard to the finished work of Christ on your behalf I want you to hear this. We've been talking about all of these Ten Commandments. You want to know how to bear true witness to the first four being true about your life? That God is your God, you have no other gods, that you've cut out the idols, that they won't be a distraction to your worship of of God, that you'll bear his name rightly and that you won't empty his name of any worth and that you'll rest in him. Do you know how to bear true witness that those things are true about you? You seek the flourishing of other people by God's grace and through his glory. You don't bear false witness and destroy and damage and hurt people. You don't dishonor them. You don't shame them. You don't bring them down. You love God and love your neighbor by living in the truth. And that proves that you have one God and no other. And that proves that you have focused worship on him and you won't allow other things to come between that. That proves that you're bearing his, you are showing the world what he's really like. And it's not a a damaged or a broken picture of, of what God is really like. You're not bearing his name in vain. And it proves that you are confident in your place with him. You can rest in him and you're not trying to prove yourself to him or, or to anyone else in your life by seeking the flourishing of other people by God's grace and for his glory. When we speak the truth in love and we don't lie, when we don't tear down, but we lift up. And we do this not because we're so good. No, we do this because we've been so deeply loved by the one who is so good and he loves through us question would be, do you know and love Jesus? We've, you know, we've been looking at the, the Exodus story. Is he your Passover lamb? Is he your Exodus from bondage, right? Do you know and, and love Jesus? Is he your God alone? It's primary. It's everything, really. It is. From there, here's another thing that you can do to know, live the truth each and every day. You, tr- you choose to trust God and delight in his word. It is a choice. You choose to trust God and delight in his word. And good grief, we talk about this all the time, but the amount of misinformation 
and confusion that is being thrown at you every day that is entering your mind and in shaping your life. No wonder that we have such a, a tough time knowing what's right and what's wrong and what's true and how to position ourselves or how to posture ourselves in the midst of the, some of the, the things that are happening in our world. We have no real, no real confidence in what to say or how to act because all of these voices are screaming at us and all of these competing ideas are fighting for our allegiance and most of them are dripping with some amount of falsehood. You realize that, right? right? No wonder we have a tough time with with understanding what is true and what is right. And did you know this? Did you know that Jesus prayed for you for this? He did. In John chapter 17, we call it the high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying for his disciples. He says he's not just praying for those disciples in front of him, but for all of those who would come to follow him by their witness. And here's what he says, Father, these, that includes us, These are not of of the world. We're not of the world, just as he was not of the world, from the world. He came from heaven. He he is God. He came to earth. We're We're not of the world anymore if we're in Christ. And he prays, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Purify them. In the midst of all of the voices and all of the, the, the information coming at them that is confusing their minds and is pulling at their hearts and is tearing them apart and tearing society apart, would you purify my people? Purify them with your truth. Would you sanctify them by your truth? How do we get to there? Well, he says, guess what he says? He says, your word is truth. God, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I send them into the world. And Why? so that we would honor God by living truthfully and show the world what he's really like, that many, many, many more people would come to know him and love him through us, bearing true witness, right? Jesus prayed, sanctify them in truth. Your word, your word is truth. The inerrancy, the infallibility, the perfection of God's word, the durability of God's word is the foundation on which we can build our lives and have a sturdy foundation it is the foundation on which allows us to begin to, to have hope in a world that seems to steal everything that might give us hope away. And it's a foundation that elicits trust in the one true God for us, though we have to choose. We have to choose each day. How do we wake up and where do we begin to place our allegiance? We have to choose each day to trust God and to delight in His Word. Like the, the psalmist in Psalm 1 that talks about delighting day and night, meditating on the truth of God's Word and, and how it brings life, right? Like Psalm 119, I want to read this to you. The psalmist says, God, I seek you with all my heart, with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts. I consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Are you seeking an experience with God like like the psalmist in Psalm 119? Do you seek to know God more, to, to deepen your, to have a rich relationship with God by spending time with Him and His Word? Do you find when you read the Bible that there's a growing trust being built in God, that it's eliciting your trust, it's stirring up your hope? Do you find in the Word that you're beginning to find delight in the truth of God's Word? You can't find delight in God's Word if you neglect God's Word. I think that's why it's so wise that he said, I delight in your decrees, I do not neglect your Word. Those two things, they, they, they can't work together like that. 
Third way, last way for you to know, love, and live in the truth. This is an important one for us today. It's to take inventory of our words. Something we really need to be more reflective on. We need to evaluate our words, the things that we say, the things that we type, things online, things that we we share that someone else has said. We need to take inventory of our words. James 3.6 says, the tongue is a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. And the image goes on to convey how rapidly that fire spreads and becomes destructive. I love Proverbs 18.21. It says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Life and death. There's power there. You have the power to build up or the power to, to take away. And did you know this? Long after you have stopped speaking, the work of your words continue to work in a person's life. You realize that, right? The things that you say, whether it's death or life, will continue to work. Death or life will continue to give life or take life long after you stop speaking. It's the power of words. Life and death are in the power of, the, uh, of words. So we should be watchful for ways we allow any kind of untruthfulness to linger on our lips and in our lives. And remember that even the littlest of lies, like James tells us, can spread and cause devastating harm, not just to the people in front of you, to people far beyond that, because that's how words carry weight in our world. And understand that the littlest of lies grieves the heart of our God of truth. And so we need to be specific, and we need to be particular, and we need to take inventory of our words. Here's three questions that I think are important, an important grid for us, maybe right now on a daily basis, until we become better trained in this. To, to grade or to evaluate how we share ideas and information. The first is, what lies do I allow to linger in my life? What lies do I allow to linger in my life? And remember, we had these five types of lies. There's the you know, bold, bald-faced lying and the twisted truth lying and the half-truth lying and the avoiding the truth and the ignoring the truth. What lies do I allow to linger in my life? Second, where do I allow fear or insecurity to lead me to avoid the truth. Going from actions, now a little bit more to motives, to our heart. Where do I allow fear or insecurity to lead me to avoid truth? And here's a big one, and this is maybe the hardest of them all. Are you ready? Have I harmed someone with untrue words? And do I need to return to them and bring words of truth and healing? That's a hard one. Have I harmed someone with untrue words of any kind? And do I need to return to them and bring words of truth and words of healing? To know, love, and live in the truth, you have to know and love Jesus. Choose to trust God and delight in His words. And we should be a very careful people as the people of God to take inventory of all the ideas and the words that we share, that they don't cause harm to others by bearing false witness, but rather we love the Lord and love our neighbor by living in the truth. Can I pray for you? God, we, we desire to be a people of truth. If we, can, if we can isolate all of the conditions and all the repercussions in life, isolate ourselves from those things for a moment, if we were just standing before you and asked the question, do we want to live in falsehood or in truth, we'd say truth every time. It is fear and insecurity that causes us to retreat into the things that mark people who are not of you, that mark our lives before 
you rescued us from bondage. And so for every Christian in the room this morning, Father, would you help us to repent? Would you help us to depend on the salvation that you've already, you've already bought for us? This isn't about us earning a place before you, but it's about us living in the light that you've given to our life and living in freedom and not returning to past ways that are destructive, that are damaging, that destroy us and others. Would you help us to, to be purified, consecrated in your word, your word of truth, that we would bear to the world, to our families, to our neighbors, to, to society, to the world, an accurate depiction of the God of truth, that they would be drawn in, that they would become trusting of you, that they would find life in your Son. And even this morning, if there are those here who have not come to a moment where they've quit trying to prove their way to heaven, that this morning would be a day that they would rest, that they would rest from their labors and they would trust in the labor of Christ on the cross and Jesus, they would experience in you life and life abundant. Holy Spirit, would you do with us as you will? Would you work this message in our lives this week? Would you help us to be a people who love the truth and live in it? In Jesus' name, amen.